Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Now, today we've got a really important conversation about the new war on women's health. We're going to unpack the many new fronts uh, on this war that seems to be coming at us from every angle now that is really focused on stripping away rights that we thought, as women, we'd already fought and won uh, many, many decades ago now. But unfortunately, the new administration and the Republican-controlled Congress is really making stripping back or pulling back on women's reproductive health a priority on many other levels. This is a global and national issue um, that has pretty big ramifications, which is why Bridget and I are so excited that we have Amber J. Phillips to talk through how she's advocating through Advocates for Youth, uh, her organization that she's with, and, like, you're going to hear a really interesting conversation in just a few moments on what we can do to make sure that uh, we don't go in the way, way back machine together. However, since the initial recording of our interview with Amber, as most things do, as things go here in Washington, D.C., this front, this sort of battle has waged on. And whenever we're talking through things like legislation there's a pretty high likelihood that things are going to change really quickly. So we wanted to add in here an update on the fact that things have changed a little bit with the Republican action around repealing and replacing Obamacare since we first recorded our conversation with Amber. Um, And make make a note so that you know um, that this is an ever-evolving issue that we have to stay vigilant over. So the newest update is, on May 4th, the House voted to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, by a narrow vote of 217 to 213. This vote puts millions of Americans one step closer to losing their health care. If this bill, in fact, did become law, it could be a real disaster for women's health. And I don't know about you, but this is true for me, because I, since becoming an entrepreneur uh, and become, being over the age of 26, have relied on the exchange for my health care that I couldn't really get in anywhere to- else. Totally. Um, although the ACA repeal bill um, does not specifically repeal the no copay birth control benefit of Obamacare, it could still make birth control less affordable by reducing financial assistance to purchase coverage, eventually ending the Medicare the Medicaid expansion, and making big cuts to the Medicaid program. So collectively, this would result in fewer women having access to coverage. Furthermore, uh, the Obamacare Repeal Act restructures and slashes the Medicaid program, and those cuts would result in hurting women, disproportionately women of color, and result in them losing critical access to care. Um, The Obamacare Repeal Act is also a big attack on coverage for abortion. The bill includes a provision that, quote-unquote, defunds Planned Parenthood. Um, The bill also prohibits financial assistance from being used to purchase a private plan on or off the marketplace if it covers abortion. As a result, marketplace plans will not be able to cover abortions outside of rape, incest, or life or life endangerment to the woman. Um, and so that's yeah. really where we're at. So this is an evolving topic. As we know, this is a bill that's been passed in the House as of this recording. And when the Senate comes back from recess, they are expected to undertake this issue. We do anticipate that the Senate will make major amendments to this bill. That's as they typically do. And hopefully, um, if we call our senators and make sure they know that we are not down with this major attack on Obamacare, specifically in the ways that it affords women equal access to reproductive care and health care, especially poor women on Medicaid, uh, then there is a better chance, I think, of us making sure the Senate chills this bill out at the very least, if not rejecting it outright. So call your senators. Call your senators and know that, you know, the podcast interview with Amber Ahead is full of information around how uh, how extreme these measures writ large, whether it's coming out of the White House or coming from Congress, are in terms of repealing um, and taking us back when it comes to the rights that women have been afforded here in the U.S. and the ways in which the U.S. has supported women abroad. Um, so I hope you enjoy this great conversation we're going to have with Amber. Don't be too depressed. It's scary stuff, but we do make sure that we always leave you with actionable ways that you can make your voice heard. Because guess what? If we're not paying attention to this, who's going to pay attention to this? If we're not taking action on this, who's going to take action on behalf of our rights? We have to make our voices heard. And there are easy ways to do so. But hopefully Bridget, Amber, and I can break it down in a way that makes it really easy to understand 
hopefully a little bit fun to listen to. It's always our goal, right, B? Right. And uh, leave you with some steps that you can take to make to make the stuff better or make it go away and to really make your voice heard in your country. So enjoy. I think you're going to love Amber J. Phillips. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this conversation. We are so pumped today. We're so pumped. Why are we pumped? Because we have the marvelous, fabulous, one of a kind, Amber J. Phillips joining us in studio today. <laughs> yay. And we, yay! I'm so happy to be here. This is great. I'm so pumped so we happy. could make it. Yay. <laughs> so Amber is the Senior Manager of Youth Leadership and Mobilization at Advocates for Youth. Mm. Amber, what is Advocates for Youth? So Advocates for Youth is an amazing sexual health and reproductive rights organization that works to advance um, the life chances and the health of young people across this country. We mm. educate providers, we educate people who work with young people, and more, most importantly, we work with young people. In my role, I work specifically with our Young Women of Color for Reproductive Justice Collective, which is a group of dynamic young women of color who care about, you know, ending reproductive oppression. That's great. And Amber is also the co-host of a really amazing podcast called yeah. The Black Joy Mixtape. Amber, tell us about The Black Joy Mixtape. Mix so on The Black Joy Mixtape, I'm not only Amber J. Phillips, I am the high priestess of Black Joy. <laughs> Um, with my co- amazing co-host Jasmine Walker, the King of the South, and we it. like to refer to ourselves as rappers without bars because we got all it. the commentary and fire uh, words around politics, pop culture, and of course, black women and anything Beyonce and the entire Nose Carter <laughs> family has going on. Oh my god! Okay, I love so it. first of all, Emily and I need to get nicknames for a podcast. Yes, nightmare. you do. We I need. Know. We need that. Get. We need to get on that. Yes, it's so fun. It really allows you to go into. <laughs> To who you actually are, which my friends dubbed me the high priestess of black joy because that is such I, a what a great that is that's a thing to knowing be known. you that's yeah that's <laughs> a fitting nickname. Thank you. All I can think of is Foxy Cleopatra. <laughs> yes. it's, like it's all those things ego. together. Oh yeah. It's all those things together. And it's because uh, here in DC I host a lot of black joy turnips at my house. Uh-huh. Um I have friends over as well as I'm just really committed to like us finding our joy in our spaces because mm. black joy is honestly heavily policed. It is policed. Um, people are arrested for not putting out cigarettes fast enough or having their music out mm. um, too loud. So we're all about not only celebrating that, but celebrating in a way that's free of oppression and just blacks only spaces. And then so we think everybody can have some. It's great. Mm. I love that. So when I first met Amber, in a former life, I used to run um, boot camps for activists and organizers in the progressive left, mm. um, teaching them how to, you know, use digital skills to be these badass campaigners. And so, so one thing to know about this is that it's a contest, right? And so it's like a mock election where you, which is not very mock at all. It's not very mock because it gets very real. It gets very very real. It gets especially when you're dealing with someone like me, especially when you're dealing with someone like Amber. And so I'll never forget. So you know, it's a mock election. Amber was like, "Oh well, we're gonna win because I don't lose." And I remember thinking, like, "Would it like she doesn't lose?" Amber, what were the results of that? Were you I, thought- we won. Of course we won. <laughs> so funny because it's so true because I was that intense as a young she person. She was a uh, little woke. She yes. was, she was woke, a baby woke. Okay. I was baby, baby woke. woke. Woke But had no gender analysis back then, uh, of course. I mean, did none of us did. No, well, we didn't. I have to give a little RIP to NOI, first of all. Oh, yeah. Big up. these elections. And also, just I couldn't go without saying that you are sitting with another... NOI campaign, mock campaign winner. Yes. Right oh, yo, I Wonder won too. No way. We're all oh, the winners. Yes. <laughs> we have, uh, we, we, we love Amber, which is why we could literally talk all day. Could be it's out every day. I will distract the hell out of everybody. <laughs> I can see so. that. It's already happening. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good. You have the best kinds of distractions. Yes. The best kinds of distractions. We have some pretty heavy stuff. This is a heavy, a heavy day. As light as we all can be, and we know we could chat all day about NOI, RIP, uh, we, are here to talk about a very serious topic, which is the new war on women's health. What is that all about? So with an incoming administration, um, with President Trump, as much as it pains me to say that, but he is our president. I uh, will not be calling him Amber will not title. be calling him President <laughs> Trump. That is fine. Um, we really have a kind of emboldened attacks on women's health and reproductive justice. And so this episode is really about giving you guys a state of play, sort of where we're at with that. Mm. And what can be done? Because there are there are many new affronts 
happening right now. There are many new ways in which women's reproductive rights and health for women, not just here in the United States, but globally, is under attack. And I, I think we're going we're gonna to break it down step by step because there is important legislation happening. There are important policies and politicians uh, being uh, sort of voted in in Washington, D.C. that we have to stay vigilant about. We have to keep our eyes on. We can't gloss over it because there is a lot of news happening today and we all have to preserve our sanity in Mm -hmm. one form or another. But we want to make sure that when it comes to women's health, we are keeping tabs on these new fronts uh, and what we can really do about them. So I'm so excited that you're here, Amber, to talk through those fronts with us. So let's dive into where we are, just a general state of play. So very, very early into Trump's administration, he introduced ex- this expansion of what they call the global gag rule. Um, and so if you don't know what that is, basically it used to be called the glo- the Mexico City policy. And it was first put into effect by Ronald Reagan in 84. And basically this rule requires that foreign um, NGOs receive family planning assistance from the U.S. to certify that they will not perform or promote any method of abortion as family planning. And so essentially to break that down into layman's terms, what that means is it kind of forces NGOs when they're doing this work overseas to adhere to a very strict like anti-abortion agenda. Mm. And it doesn't matter if if an abortion could save someone's life. It doesn't matter if this impacts, has negative or deadly impacts on someone. They are bound to not even mention abortion. Or to choose to forego the funding that comes through this policy. And this is a policy that since 84 with Reagan has been enacted very early on in Mm -hmm. every Republican's presidency. So it's sort of this clearly hyper-partisan flip of the switch that happens when we switch from Democratic presidencies to Republican presidencies, which is important to note because there's clear data we're going to dive into later between what happens when this global gag rule goes into effect or the Mexico City policy goes into effect Mm -hmm. versus the Democratic administrations for which, you know, remove that. Right. So the thing that's most interesting about the global gag rule is that it even says that even if you aren't providing abortions, you're literally not allowed to recommend it as a reasonable option for someone from from my understanding of it. So it's like literally a gag. (laughs) It's literally a gag on getting people the information they need, connecting them to the services that they need, even if you cannot provide those services Hmm. because of the funding that you get. So when does withholding information ever a great idea? Right. Like this is anti freedom of speech quite frankly it's a it's anti a lot of things right and i think the difference between this administration too is they actually extended it to make it like permanent right isn't that what yeah um so even though we switch back and forth on you know under a democratic administration it's not a thing but then under a republican administration it is a thing the thing that i find the most hilarious about this republic our new administration is that they are unapologetically taking some of the most oppressive laws and policies and kind of hammering them into stone. They're taking effects that will, um, they're thinking about their futures, right? They're thinking about their futures beyond the White House about what they do not want to happen here. And it's, it's wild. And it definitely is an attack globally on, on people who access abortion and care. And the poorest people. Yep. Always the poorest people. And really what's scary is that this this administration's enforcement of the global gag rule is even more extreme. It's it's rumored that they've widened the policy, they've widened the reach. What's especially troubling and concerning to advocates and journalists alike is the lack of transparency and clarity. Mm-hmm. There wasn't even a press release put out on this. At the last of our knowledge here, there's very few details that the administration has come out with. But what we have seen is that the executive action widens its scope significantly. Instead of just applying uh, the gag rule to the pool of family funding that's impacted, uh, it applies to, quote, all global health assistance furnished by all departments or agencies. That's $10 plus billion, including AIDS prevention, infectious disease, maternal health, malaria, tuberculosis, nutrition. And that includes parts of the government uh, funding that George W. Bush even excluded from the global gag rule. Yeah, because I think like even under Bush, there was some understanding of the, of the right. need to be um a little bit, you know, communicative yeah, at least about this as an option. Yeah, yeah, when you're dealing with people's lives. Right. 
And That's I, really sad that looking back on Bush, you're like, I man, Oof, I've seen me the less good old less, days. But I'm still going to hold firm that he is the worst. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't, let, I don't like the rebranding. Yeah. And, uh, any of these the hugs with, yeah, Michelle with Michelle Obama tell you any different. I, I will always remember Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. Fair. So. Fair. Yeah. The rebranding and, and, and cuting, cutifying of G- George W. Yeah. Just because he laughs at Michelle Obama's jokes. Hashtag never forget. Never. Mm, fair. <laughs> but it's also important, I think, here to make it explicit that the United States federal funding does not fund abortions, right. home or abroad. What we're really talking about here is anyone, any of the foreign aid that we have deemed essential, necessary, and in our national interest to put abroad, right, to make health globally here and abroad a priority now restricts their ability as practitioners to even speak about abortion, to even talk about it as an option or mention it. Right. So going back to this piece around um, who's impacted the most by this, I'm someone who I come into this work as a reproductive justice um, advocate, as someone who has been um, who uses a reproductive justice lens on my work. This mm. means mm-hmm. reproductive justice, which is a, a phrase that was coined by folks like Loretta Ross and Sister Song, which is an amazing organization um, sent, uh, based in Atlanta, mm. is that it's your right to parent a child, not have a child, and to raise those children in health and safety, safe environments. Mm. So when we're having this conversation about funding around abortion, even though we had Roe v. Wade, which said, listen, everyone gets access to one of these. You all get access to one of these abortions should you need it. However, because of things like the global gag rule impacting um, international um, conversations around access, just the conversation right, around just access to abortion. Here in our country, um, rep- the GOP and conservatives make it seem as though that there is government funding going towards abortion, but there isn't because of a thing called the Hyde Amendment. Right. Um, and the Hyde Amendment literally makes it so that no government funding can go towards abortion. So when you hear rumors about a Planned Parenthood using government funding for um, abortion, it's just simply not true. All those funds are separated out because the law literally requires it. Right. And even though there had been a push under the Obama administration and then what we were hoping was for a a different administration Mm. to actually repeal the Hyde Amendment so that low-income women, women of color, um, folks who are on government funding and government assistance can actually use their health care through the government to access the care that they need Mm. because right now they can't and it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime in the near future. So, yeah, it definitely impacts us kind of differently. Well, it impacts poor women disproportionately and that's true abroad as well where you know, having getting pregnant without planning it, right? Being pregnant can be a death sentence in mm-hmm. certain parts of this world. That, and we don't even yeah. have to go as far as Haiti. Black women here in America have right. very high rates right. of Absolutely. not being able to carry pregnancies to term. And then on top of that, not only are we stigmatized for access abortion, this piece around us, um, access abortion, there's stigma in carrying a child and mm. getting the um, help you need with that. There's also stigma around having the babies. We right. have a lot of um, the Reagan, we talked about the Reagan administration. Yeah. They built a whole media campaign on black women just like um, us of, of saying that we are welfare queens and we don't deserve access to government funding and all these different things. So mm. it's kind of a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. which is why I love to talk about it through a reproductive justice lens mm. because we can have a conversation around abortion, but we also need to talk about um, sterilization of black women and women of color. We also need to talk about what it means for black women, especially um, teen moms who have babies to access the support that they need. Mm. And if we're not willing to support information around sexual health and reproductive rights, we're certainly not supporting people who are carrying those children and raising those children and making sure that those children are in health and safety, safe environments. Right. right. So. And I, I love the idea of, of thinking about it through that lens where it's like, it is happening here. I think that black women in the United States deal with this and, and it's, it's easy to think that, you know, this is a developed country. Like we're mm-hmm. not, we're not, we're not dealing with it in those ways, but we are like mm-hmm. low income black women and women of color here in the States deal with this in, in a way that I feel like is disproportionately impactful on their lives. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, and it seems like that conversation is a conversation that's difficult to have and we're not having it subsequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's scary is that there, and I, I, I understand this false impression that the pro-life movement has around the gag rule leading to less abortions in the world, right? So there is this underlying assumption from 
the pro-life movement that a global gag rule will actually reduce the number of abortions that occur. Right. Which I'm looking at research here that shows that abortion rates increased during the Republican presidencies during which the gag rule was enforced and decreased during the Democratic presidencies over time. And this is abroad more. The data comes from from countries abroad when uh, when the global gag rule was revoked. So even if you are coming at this lens saying mm-hmm. we want to reduce abortion, increased access to family planning services and a whole suite of information, not to mention contraception, yes. is actually the way forward in right. doing that. So if you're if you're genuinely interested in in not having there be and having there be less abortions this is not the way to do it right Right. like i actually would argue that like abortions are abortions and like people are gonna have them and people like it's not like legally or not correct and i'm i'm a big advocate for getting rid of the stigma around it Mm -hmm. but if you genuinely believe that it's something that we should be advocating to have less of this is not the way to do it it doesn't make any sense if that were true then we would have more comprehensive sex ed in all 50 states Mm. and right now we don't actually very few states have comprehensive sex ed which is one of the things that advocates for youth works on um through Social media work through working with um, uh, city level and state mm-hmm. level um, folks to make sure that we have an idea what comprehensive sex ed looks like, not just for and we have an idea what comprehensive sex ed looks like from for all grade levels, like down from teaching kindergartners how to identify their different body parts mm-hmm. up to teaching teens about um, their menstrual cycles or um, about consent, consent um, and yes. um, knowing how to use a condom. One of the things, not to, sorry, I want to infuse this in, but one of the things that brought me to this conversation of talking about sex ed on a larger scale was you have, especially as a black woman, woman, you have folks like Nick Cannon who got in trouble earlier this year for having all these views about who should access abortion and who shouldn't and specifically targeting black women, um, stating that, um, you know, that we are somehow, uh, hurting our race by accessing abortion care where I'm like, well, Nick Cannon, have you ever taught anybody how to put on a condom? Because (laughs) that's where your part of this conversation actually comes in because people access abortions for an array of different reasons. But if you actually cared, if this is your issue, then let's have a conversation about teaching black men how to put on condoms or how to give comprehensive sex ed to black women about our menstrual cycles and how to actually chart them. Like there's so much we don't know. Men have to play a role in sexual and reproductive health. (laughs) It doesn't come in on the abortion piece. All right. I think, I think this is a good time for us to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the other uh, fronts on this on this new war against women's health. So we'll be right back. And we're back. And honestly, there are quite a few ways in which the Trump administration has quickly advanced major attacks against funding on funding for women's health and reproductive justice. And I want to mention this briefly because I know there's there's lots of components that we want to cover in today's episode. But it's important to mention that the administration already announced and made cuts, significant cuts to the United Nations Population Fund or the UNPF, which is a division within the United Nations more broadly, which we all know he doesn't have such a great opinion of, but it has a special focus on supporting reproductive health. Now, what's interesting here is, as we've clearly established, there is no evidence that any of the United States funding was going to make abortions possible, right? This wasn't going towards abortion funding. And yet the administration on this rumor, on this myth around that, decided to ignore the advice of the State Department, the United States State Department, which advised at least doing a comprehensive study or at least looking into it Mm. before making an evidence-based cut. And instead, they cut that funding with little to no fanfare or explanation provided. So they didn't look into it. They have false reasons and sort of, you know, fake news behind their reasons for making these cuts. And yet, there they go. They were made. It sounds right on point with how Donald has decided yeah. to Yeah, unilaterally. Govern. Yes. Unilaterally. Like, let's get rid of the things that we thought no one could get rid of and not tell you about it until you 
until someone at Vox decides to write about right. it. Like, it's kind of right. crazy. It is scary. It's scary. And I think, again, it's like one of those things where it's, I feel like these things are done with such a lack of transparency where like, we don't find out until it's kind of too late. Yes. And the news media can barely keep up. Completely. <laughs> they, I, I, I think I said this off air, but like they tried to get rid of the ethics committee first day. <laughs> That's when you know January. you're going to have a clean administration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. Like, let's get rid what of anything that overshadows anything that we could what be doing. What could go wrong? Um, let's get rid of any voter protection uh, committees, you know, people who check the ballot boxes. Let's get rid of that. Mm. Um, and then just like, let's start moving it. Let's start mm-hmm. moving things forward. So this is, I'm glad you are talking about it because yeah. it's, you, it, we need podcasts like this mm. and folks like you all to actually explain what's happening to American people because it's coming at us so quick mm. and we're going to look up and not actually know the extent of our rights in our, in our own government, mm. our own democracy. So we're doing what we can, doing our best, Good job. doing our damnedest. And the reality is that it, it, there have been some checks and balances coming through. Thank you, founding fathers. Thank you, constitution. Right. And we saw the Trump administration fail already when it came to repealing and replacing Obamacare, which is an important component to this fight. Yeah. I mean, I think that you really see that as a, as a a really an organizing victory because that, that, and we'll talk more about that kind of going forward, but you really got to see that as a victory for, for people who make noise in this country. Like, you know, advocate, advocate, make their voices heard. And I think what's so important to note about the whole um, ACA fight is that there was a provision in the Affordable Care Act? Uh, there was a provision in Trump's, you know, what is it like the world's best world's health care, whatever, whatever, which was really the actual name. The was the, <laughs> there was an actual name to it that was like the nation, the global premiere. It was like something ridiculously hyperbolic, but yeah, <laughs> it's there was a provision in there to defund important organizations like Planned Parenthood, right? So Planned Parenthood came directly under attack. And was in the center, the eye of the storm when it came to the Trump administration's, uh, kind of half-baked healthcare policy, which got people riled up, got organizers riled up and, and rallying and making their voices heard. And I think that's part of the reason, especially part of the reason has to do with the fact that so many women, myself included, have benefited directly from Planned Parenthood's extensive health services, mm-hmm. well beyond reproductive health, but important reproductive health services as well. I don't know how much of a personal story to share on that. No. But absolutely. Because literally as someone who grew up, I always have a hard time talking about this, but I don't mind because I think there are a lot of um, women like me who mm. I grew up very Christian and Baptist. So any... My mom did a great job at explaining sexual health to me as best she could. And there's still so much shame and stigma attached to girls who have sex that when you're in the throes of trying to figure it out, Mm. when you definitely should tell somebody to help you, you don't. Um, But I was always grateful for my Planned Parenthood because the first time I had barely had sex, (laughs) I was terrified and we're like, what is a plan B pill? Or like, what are, like, where are all the things? And I was grateful that we could go to our local Planned Parenthood and they're like, also, here are condoms. Yes. Calm down. (laughs) Like, you're doing the most. You were dry humping and it's okay. I have such a good story. (laughs) It's so true because think about how clueless a lot of us were. Like, oh, I went to Catholic wow. school. I didn't really get a comprehensive sex ed- education at all. Oh, wow. And I distinctly remember um, like playing like playing spin the bottle and thinking oh. I was going to get like pregnant. Are you that. serious? Yeah, like, I didn't. I mean, I, we just didn't know. No. And do you really want like, and this is another thing that like I am almost embarrassed. So this is a <laughs> podcast on a, on a Share and get network. somebody else free, girl. Yes. <laughs> on, a, on a network that's dedicated to science and research. Mm-hmm. I'm like embarrassed. I mean, I might like lose my job for admitting this. Stop. But <laughs> up until I was in college, I thought that you couldn't get pregnant if the woman was on top. I literally wow. thought that until I was 18 years oh old. Oh my god! I thought that. 
That's, well, that's a real thing that people think, it, and it's I, important. I, I, honestly, that, I got told that from, like, older girls in my class, and I was like, oh, they would know. So you just out here on top. Oh, I know. Oh, living man. your best life. <laughs> my favorite my favorite moment of you actually know nothing, Amber Phillips, oh, no. was when I told you I work for a sexual health and reproductive rights organization, and I think it was, I forget this actor's name, but he got throat cancer. Oh, oh um, it's uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones' husband. Yes. Mm, What's his name? Ooh, it's me crazy. Um, <laughs> we gotta look we it up. Know. But Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So Michael Douglas had gotten throat cancer, and there everyone was saying it was because of cunnilingus. <laughs> and we were in our all staff meeting, and they were like, "Yeah, Michael Douglas might have throat cancer from cunnilingus." And no. I'm like, "What is cunnilingus?" <laughs> And everyone stopped and looked at me like, okay, so we're going to get you all of the booklets in the back. And then it was explained to me that cunnilingus is performing oral oral sex sex on a woman. And I was like, okay, well, I know what cunnilingus is, but I didn't know it was called cunnilingus. You know what I mean? You didn't know it by its like government name. I didn't know it by its government name. And I'm like, literally ran to my desk and read all these things. Like, what else don't you know? Like, this is, you cannot be responsible (laughs) for young people. This people. is important yeah. stuff. And like, it is. Yes, speaking basic of, education. Totally, yeah. like, speaking of stuff mom never told you. Right. Mom never right. told you. That's what Seriously. I thought the name of this show was. So I'm just being <laughs> I mean, honest about when, my limitations. And it's so, it's such a good reminder that all of us, especially when we're young and a little bit figuring, I don't want to say clueless, because we're figuring things out. There's a part of life when you got to figure things out. Even if you're in your mid-20s. Yes. You know. And <laughs> Planned Parenthood is there to help you do that. Yes, and they are. for me, it was really important in college because my health insurance came through my mom. My mom works at a Catholic hospital. Oh, wow. Which has an exception, right, in that they are allowed to claim religious exemption from providing health coverage for their workers that covers contraceptives. And, of course, they don't perform abortion services there either. Mm. But what that meant for my mom's kid, a.k.a. me, being a 20-year-old in college, is that I was paying full price out of pocket, like 50-plus bucks a month for the birth control pill. Wow. And Planned Parenthood had financial subsidies for like I was able to go there and get it for like 30 bucks instead of 50 bucks but I had to demonstrate how poor I actually was to make that possible so thank you all Planned these Parenthood. barriers yeah. for you to just you know be safe and avoid safe. having to use all of their services right so mm-hmm. if, we, if that's really the goal here right and research has shown that education and access to contraceptive if whether or not however you feel about abortion is the way to reduce abortions in real life. And I think what you just mentioned, Emily, about sort of like being on your parents' plan or being low income or being a work like a working young person, I think in one of the other attacks that we've sadly seen from this administration on women's care um comes in the form of Title Ten. Um Title Ten is our nation's family planning program and basically it helps millions and millions of low income people afford much needed health care. And these are things like birth control. These are things like, um, you know, uh, testing and treatment for STIs, including HIV. This is well woman exams. This is, you know, breast cancer screenings, contraceptives, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like these are things that people need. This is basic care of, you know, basic like maintenance of having a body and being a person. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, things that we all need. Yeah. Um, and it's and, been in effect since 1970. Yes. Right? We've already fought these battles. That's the thing that feels Absolutely. the worst. Exactly. And what's interesting is that this program is super popular, right? Like Republicans like it. Democrats like it. This is not a program that people don't like. It's a popular program because I think most reasonable people know that when you, you know, live in a society, it's good if people have access to getting tested for infectious diseases so that people aren't running around knowing, like, not knowing, you know, they have a disease. Right. It's good if people have birth control. It's good if it's people good have, you know, it's good right. for a society. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's really interesting that we that we saw a, a pretty a pretty good attack on Title Ten so early on from this administration. And um, just as an interesting sort of procedural note, I don't want to get too in the weeds on how this happened. But um, so basically, the Obama administration rule that they um, passed right after right before he left office Mm -hmm. basically made it so that um, state lawmakers could not prevent specific clinics from accepting Title X funding it based solely on whether or not those clinics perform abortion or not. Um, That's already in the law. But this Obama administration rule just clarified that, like, if you are a state legislator, you cannot ban a clinic from getting Title X funding because they do abortion. Because they happen to also provide services. Because Title X is about, you know, 
As well women. Yeah, exactly. Right, basic healthcare. And this is what got us all celebrating as yes. Obama was about to leave office. As he was about to leave office, if you all remember, there were a bunch of headlines like, Obama just signed executive order that will protect Planned Parenthood, even regardless of what administration we're in. And mm-hmm. it was literally... <laughs> This administration is wild to me, y'all. It's like they literally took note of it and was like, okay, bet. That's the first thing. <laughs> this to is go. the thing y'all right, like. Okay, okay. Y'all like this? Okay, we're getting rid of this. And just to add more explanation onto it, the thing that I found the most hilarious about it. So when the debacle happened around, um, repeal and replace and, um, our Congress not being able to get that done because of the Freedom Caucus, literally they were like, okay, well, we're definitely still doing this whole defunding Planned Parenthood thing. And Mike Pence came in to, um, cast the tie-breaking vote that would get rid of this protection. Like, that's how important it was. Yeah, what's also interesting to me is that they did this the day after having this big women's economic um, leadership thing at the White House. So fake news. He, yeah, (laughs) didn't happen. (laughs) So he basically, Uh, you know, got up and gave this big speech about how women are so great and we should protect women. But then, and we should care for them. We should care for women. Our protection, unless they need healthcare. Except if you need healthcare, I cannot help you. Also, in the the new plan that they put forward, they were like, also, we're going to make it harder for you to get maternity cares so mm. I don't know what they want us to do I think they just want us to stay in the house and like read the bible and because <laughs> and right now under, these protections are <laughs> popular like you just said they're very popular across the board right. because they actually put us in a place where with the correct information it actually helps women to better plan out their lives and therefore it helps everyone it helps our economy it helps our community um, it gets you the information you need and with things like Title Ten, it prevents more abortions. Right. Um, right. That's which the part that honestly is my the mind. goal. Like we want people to be able to access the full range of their health care so that when they need to make an abortion decision, mm. that they're also able to do that with the best information possible. And right now, people like Mike Pence are making it so much right. harder, regardless of how many meetings he has with women or how many times he's photographed having lunch with his wife. <laughs> the fact of the matter is he does not love you. And this is why one of the notes that I tried to just keep saying during the election when people are like, Trump is the worst. Mike Pence is actually, he's so he's 10 times worse, mostly because he has had practice in Indiana. Mm. This man has literally found ways to not only try and he has successfully defunded Mm -hmm. um, Planned Parenthood in his state but he's able to do it in a way where he uses the law to get people caught up in litigation as they determine whether or not these things are even Mm. possible. Didn't his state have this pretty epic like HIV AIDS outbreak? Hell sorry am I allowed to say that? (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah they did. Like of course that's going to happen when you don't provide health care. They literally had a a breakout. Like so when and those are the material consequences consequences that all these folks who are preventing this because they care about the babies they care about the families you're actually um tearing apart families Mm. because you're giving when you take away people's information you are setting them up for a lifetime of just issues you're actually when you take away people's education and an an outbreak around Mm. hiv and stis happen you're throwing them back into the healthcare system to be there constantly because they're sick right because you took away the information that would prevent them from getting sick which should be the goal of our healthcare Mm. is to actually get people so healthy and keep them healthy not make it in a way that they're only coming to you when it's the worst case Mm -hmm. scenario which we were all got all of those um, images. I remember growing up, um, I was much younger than before Obama um, took office when they were just talking about the epidemic of people going to the ER oh, yeah. instead of to uh, to their health care mm-hmm, provider. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're going to look at if they ever succeed of actually repealing this, because people are going to need care no matter what. Mm. They're just going to find alternative ways of getting it or we're going to die. Wow. Unfortunately... Mike Pence is not the only one who we have to keep our eye on, really and truly. When it comes to enemies of women and women's health, there is a new player on the scene, Neil Gorsuch, Mm -hmm. who was just confirmed to the Supreme Court. And we're going to talk more about him in just a quick second. We'll be right back. We're back, and unfortunately, we've got another player on the scene we have to talk about. We know that last month in April, 
the Senate went ahead and went forward with what's called the nuclear option, making it easier for a confirmation of a hyper-partisan Supreme Court justice, in this case, Neil Gorsuch, to be confirmed to the bench to join our Supreme Court justices uh, in a term limitless role as a Supreme Court justice. And, and as we know, the Supreme Court is very important in terms of places where a woman's right to choose has been protected and upheld in the past. What do we think about Gorsuch's addition? Well, I think the fact that they pushed through one of the longest standing positions in U.S. government is absurd through a thing called the nuclear option, which I was mentioning is some of the best political theater I have ever seen in my entire life. Um, because, again, what the GOP is doing masterfully is learning all the rules and applying them to places where they don't belong. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Mitchell McConnell presented the nuclear option as a way for um, them to push through this SCOTUS pick, um, they're like, oh, this doesn't apply to that. And they're like, says who? Yeah. No, it does. Let's vote on it. We got it. <laughs> We're going to do it. And they've changed the rules of the Senate in they a way that Democrats and Republicans agree is bad, right? Because yes. historically, I don't remember what dead old white guy said this, but some <laughs> some founding father said that the Senate is the cooling saucer of the hot co- cup of coffee that is right. the House, right? The Senate is supposed to be the more temperate body in our government that that helps uh put forth bipartisan solutions. And Neil Gorsuch is anything but. Yeah. And I feel like they just, for eight years under Obama's administration, they did nothing. And now it's like they want to be head of the class. They're going yeah, they're for honor roll right now. They're doing the absolute <laughs> most. And, they, and it's scary mm-hmm. because rules like this exist because if we remember during, um, I, I have no problem bringing up Obama's administration, even though apparently we're not allowed to talk about that anymore. But oh, we do. Trump is allowed to talk about his election daily. Um, <laughs> But he create they access some of these rules because if you remember he was so gridlock he wasn't mm. able to do anything so basically the geo it looks what what is happening now is they didn't even vote on Garland right yeah. the, what's happening now is the GOP is taking those rules as like they took note of everything Obama did and they're expanding it to do really awful things whereas Obama was creating um accessing rules or using executive orders right the executive order thing was thrown up in his face even by um Trump. Uh, before he took office, where he used the executive orders because he wasn't able to get anything through. And now the GOP has taken note and is using those same kind of tactics, but stretching them to their limits to actually hurt and harm American people instead of protect them. So it's, it's again, it's scary. And we have to do the best we can to explain what's happening. And I don't want to compare the executive orders, right? We can't compare the tactics of the Obama administration to this, this like new, totally like not like off the grid new future that they've just set themselves up for in the Senate. They sent Mike Pence down to again, break the tie as a show of force for the white house to vote this Supreme court justice. And this is this, this should be troubling. Like this Mm -hmm. is our, I don't want to not normal. This is not, not this is not, this is not business as usual. It's very unusual. Right. Um, And so I know that a lot of this, um, it sounds very, very depressing and overwhelming, but I need to like pull out because it's really not all bad. There are things that we can do mm-hmm. to sort of help make noise about this. And I do think that with um ACA, again, the reason why that was failed, a right? why that failed was because of it wasn't, you know, it was because of people like you listeners, right? Like people who made noise, people who talked to their lawmakers, people who stood up and, t- and said no. And so I do think, you know, that should be seen as a kind of a, a victory, a small victory. So like I don't want to make it all at sure. all seem like, you know, it's not rosy, but, exactly. but it, it, it was, I think the failure of the Republicans attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare is a show of strength for grassroots. And what's challenging is in this, this saturated news environment where it does get overwhelming. It does get hard to keep up with the, this administration's rapid fire pace of really dangerous policies and initiatives. We have to remember that women's health is foundational to the health of our entire world. Right. We have to remember to stay vigilant on protections that have already been well established, that have already been protected in the law are under attack in a way that we might not even be able to fathom. And just to add to that, and I know we're trying to um, uplift and I promise to bring it back to that, but also it's important to note, 
even highlighting that victory of people standing out that the the ACA also didn't get re- replaced because of the Freedom Caucus. And the reason why I bring up the Freedom right. Caucus is because we're lumping them into the victory. And really what the mm. Freedom Caucus is, it's the <laughs> their big push around the ACA is that it didn't go far enough. Right. So when that didn't pass because of the Freedom Caucus, the Freedom Caucus um and a uh, tactic that I really want the Democrats to use is that they are pushing the Republicans to go further. Right. And when, what, why we need to be aware of them is because that's why these appointees matter is because there are these little things that like, uh, trying to take away title, um, 10, trying to push, um, through SCOTUS without any kind of real approval processes are because they have vowed to make women just the undercast of this society. And we need to acknowledge the Freedom Caucus because they're not going to stop until they get what they want. And this is a time for our side, Democrats and progressives, to be the same way. We tend to... um concede a lot or to find the middle ground where when we need to actually be pushing the most radical, our most dreamy legislation possible forward, because that's exactly what this other mm. other side is doing. Right. And if we don't, we'll find ourselves just in the middle where we're still having a conversation about the ACA and never getting to the point that the ACA does need to be improved, right. that there needs to be more. It's not universal. It needs to go further. It's not universal health care. Everyone isn't getting what they need from the ACA. And it's OK to talk about that while also saying still the GOP sucks right now and they are not the answer. But we need to make sure the things that we're pushing through also directly improve the lives of the most marginalized. Totally. Because that is when we get to the point where we're celebrating Roe v. Wade, but we never got to repealing high. Right. We never got to making sure that poor women had access to right. abortion care as well. Right. And that's what I see my role as, as an organizer and as an activist and as a communicator um, who speaks out a lot against the nuances in our movement, especially in the women's rights movement, not because I think we're doing it completely wrong, but because I need us to do more. We need to do better. We need to do so much better than what we're doing now because it's not enough to protect me as a Mm 27-year-old working Black woman. I need to make sure that my niece's mom, who doesn't have access to formal education, who is on government assistance, is also allowed to see her life in the future beyond this administration and then some. I, I, I see things... I agree with what you're saying, but I also see things a little differently in that if our Senate is now going to be able to vote things through with a simple majority, mm-hmm. we have to remind Republicans that they know women. Some of them are married to women. Some of them are women. Mm-hmm. And if Republicans, especially level-headed Republicans, who I think make up the majority of that party, even though they don't make up the Freedom Caucus per se— Level-headed Republicans, like moderate Republicans who don't want to see 50 percent of our society marginalized Mm -hmm. in a way that that strips women of their basic access to health care, especially poor women. If you really believe in in sort of in a Republican agenda that doesn't include perpetrating and and going after poor women and women's health issues make your voice heard. We need to tell Republicans who are in power that they have right. a responsibility to represent 50% of the American people. That's somebody's ministry. That's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> Someone can have yeah, that yeah, conversation. Yeah. I totally and I'm agree. all about it. I agree. And while, while a group There's of us is both. doing There's that, for both. a group of us is working right, with right. the Democratic Party. Um, I'm also really invested in us coming up with alternatives because I don't. Yeah. Um, I'm really invested. Again, we talked about the Black Joy mixtape about really diving into what I believe is a renaissance for people of color Mm. in this country, specifically black people of creating systems um, outside of our government Mm -hmm. that will serve and protect us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that means like, um, building community um, accountability, um, coming up with alternatives to the lack of child care access, coming up with giving people direct information around yeah. sex ed since yeah. we know it's not going to be taught in their schools, creating freedom schools, free breakfast programs. Like this is the type of organizing yeah. that we're going to have to dive into again because this administration, literally my only hope is Maxine Waters. Child. Uh, <laughs> Auntie Maxine. As long as Maxine Waters of, is pounding. Of the show. Exactly. Yeah. As long as she is pounding this pavement – 
and doing her justice mm. of saying these people have zero credibility, I'm with it. And I think that's mm. important to notice too. And I believe they can all exist at the same oh, yeah. time. My issue often is on, on, um, the progressive side of things sure. is making sure that we're also supporting the people that we find radical and not yeah. just stealing yeah. their ideas mm-hmm. and putting it in a more comfortable framing, um, like a Pepsi commercial uh, or a women's march, yeah. but actually throwing funding and throwing yeah. resources behind and, mm. movement for black lives, behind reproductive um, justice organizations like Sister Song, like Sister Reach, BYP 100, Advocates for Youth. The list goes on. I'm here to talk Hell about them. Yeah. As well. You heard it here first. I love it. Amber <laughs> Phillips calling for a new black organizing renaissance. Yes. I love it. I love <laughs> right. it. So Amber, I noticed, um, so this is one of the things I really wanted to sort of plug while we were doing this episode. I noticed that you shouted out a couple of good organizations. And so one of the things, in addition to staying vigilant and, and you know, making a lot of noise to your elected officials, another thing that you can do to really combat this feeling of sort of overwhelming negativity coming out of this administration mm-hmm. that does feel very overwhelming is, you know, blessing an organization that you like with a little bit of coin, right? So like thinking <laughs> give about the coin. give the coin, right? Like <laughs> thinking through, you know, who are those organizations in your, even in your local communities who are doing the work that you think yes. is important or is going to be important for the next four mm. years. And so you shouted out one of my favorite organizations, Sister Song. Tell yes. us about Sister Song. So I'm of course biased, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> I sit on the board of Sister Song um, and it is a reproductive justice organization led by the phenomenal Monica Ray Simpson. Um, and they are a national organization that is based in the South and that is very important to mention Mm. um, because the Southeast is where you have very high rates of STIs um, and very little representation of government and government of people who are trying to change that fact. So yes, Sister Song is phenomenal. They also have a conference coming up this year in October called Let's Talk About Sex and more information is coming out on that as well that I definitely urge people to learn um, learn more about. Again, um, other amazing organizations that I love who taught me about reproductive justice are New Voices, um, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, which is led up by Latasha D. Mays. Um, and again, speaking of the South, I have to give a shout out to Sister Reach. They are located in Tennessee. And they're a phenomenal organization. And of course, mine as well, Advocates for Youth. We're not a reproductive justice organization, but we have a reproductive justice lens. Um, and you may have heard of our campaign, um, the One in Three campaign, or even our Great American Condom campaign. And we do work working directly with young people um, to make sure that they have access to the, the things that they need and become leaders in advocating for what mm. they need themselves. Mm. And I think the same can be said to add it to the list is Planned Parenthood for America, right? Check it out. Donate when you can. Get in touch with your local clinics. It can happen. Uh, And there's a smorgasbord of of advocacy organizations out there. We can put our money where our mouth is. At the very least, it'll probably make you feel a little better in the face of this war on women's health. So Mm -hmm. we want to hear from you, Sminty listeners. How has access to reproductive health care and really all kinds of women's health care made a difference in your life? You heard our stories. You heard Bridget, Amber, and I share how access in the United States has made a huge difference to us. And for those of you abroad, share what your thoughts are on the Trump administration's pointed attack against women in the world and women here in the United States. And Amber, I just have to thank you so much for being on today. Um, You've been a joy. I can totally see why people call you the high priestess of black (laughs) Y'all don't get it twisted. Bridget is also phenomenal. She's the reason why I'm a digital strategist. She knows HTML. She's amazing. (laughs) Emily, I'm also going to give you a shout out. You're phenomenal as well. But like, Bridget, Bridget has just ushered me queen. through so much and I'm so honored to I have you here to today. say all of this. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> never. Aww. And again, Amber is joining us from Advocates for Youth and she's also the co-host of the Black Joy Mixtape. Amber, if people want to hear your phenomenal podcast, what should they do? Well, you can go to SoundCloud or iTunes and Google Play. It's just Black Joy Mixtape. We're on Twitter and Instagram as well at Black Joy Mixtape. And again, you can Hit me up or ask me questions or tell me, you know, you were wrong about that um, <laughs> on my social as well. And it's just at Amber J. Phillips, two L's. I love it. I love it. And keep us posted on your thoughts on this episode and what you'd like to hear from us next. You can tweet at us at MomStuffPodcast. Find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And of course, we love receiving your emails at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Mom.